Hey, Life Canton. Welcome. Welcome if you're a brand new listener. Uh, welcome if you listen to us every week. We're so glad that you're here. want to remind you that you belong to God, so you belong to this community, and we want to get you plugged in. So be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can make sure that that happens. It's also going to be a way for you to ask any questions about our church or our community, uh, or even ask about areas that you may be interested in serving. So please fill that out. It's really important to us and also important so that we can help you get involved with what God's up to at the church. So uh, this week we are in, uh, I think it's week six of Mark, our series on Mark that we've been going through this summer, been going chapter by chapter through the gospel of Mark, and it's been a really fruitful time of just seeing some really cool things that sometimes you miss when you are just reading bits or, or sections of Mark. And this week... We have another message from Pastor Jared. He's going to talk about rejection in Mark chapter 6. So give that a listen, and I will catch up with you in just a few moments. Amen. You may have a seat. Welcome. Uh, My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors, and I am glad that you are with us this morning. If you are new or newer here, we want to make sure that you get connected as well. In case you missed it at the front end, Bridget told us about how to get connected. I'm going to let you know there's a QR code on the screen that you can scan with your phone. Those of you who know how to use QR codes, you can do that. If you don't know what a QR code is, you can just visit us out in the lobby, and we'd be happy to meet you and hear your story and help you get connected as well. I do want to mention one area to get connected is an event called Be the Spark that we're doing all the way in September. I know we don't want to think about September right now because we're in the middle of July, but September 9th, we're going to be doing an event for all of our volunteers as well as anybody who wants to be a volunteer or learn more about serving at our church. We want to appreciate you, but we also want to equip you. So there's going to be more information about that. I want to encourage you to get connected with that. We are in a series on Mark. We're going through the gospel according to Mark, and we're doing that all summer long. Last uh, time that I preached here, I preached on Mark chapter 4. It was a little bit of an easier message because the whole chapter kind of centered around one particular theme of evangelism, and so it's kind of easy to to narrow that in. When I looked at chapter 6, which is what we're in today, a little bit more scattered. There, not all of the stories matched up with each other. There wasn't like a consistent theme necessarily. And, uh, and it was really hard to pick what story to talk about because I couldn't talk about all of the stories. And so I wanted to go back and reread and see, is there any similarity in any of the stories? And so as I reread it and reread it a couple more times, I felt like there was somewhat of a similar theme of rejection. Raise your hand if you've ever been rejected or felt rejection, or you've done the rejecting before. Yeah, we've all uh, experienced some level of rejection. I felt like when I was looking at Mark 6, there was an element of rejection. We'll talk about that in just a second, but I have experienced some different forms of rejection you have, and there are different levels of severity when it comes to the rejection that we feel, but almost always, rejection hurts. It hurts. I want to take you back to seventh grade. I know some of you are unwilling to go back there, but go there with me in your minds for just a moment. Imagine me as a seventh grade kid, a lot less hair down here, a lot more up here. And, uh, and so I was in seventh grade. I had a crush on Amy. I'm not going to give you her full name because I don't need you looking her up on social media, all right? And even if you did, her name would be changed. And so that kind of gives away a little bit of the punchline of the story. But anyway, I had a crush on Amy, and I decided I was going to let her know that. I was going to ask her out. And so what do you do to ask somebody out? Well, you get them a giant bouquet of balloons on their birthday. 
I guess that's what I did. Uh, that's what I thought was the right uh, suave thing to do. So I went to the store. I saved up some of my money. I got a giant bouquet of balloons to give to her on school day, on a school day. What's she going to do with the big bouquet of balloons the entire day of school? I didn't really think through that, uh, but that's okay. So I showed up to school, giant bouquet of balloons. My mom's probably laughing, as me, laughing at me as she's dropping me off at school. And I carry it in, and I'm probably looking very awkward. And uh, I go up to her, and I say, happy birthday, Amy. And there's a little note in there. You can read that, and you can let me know what you think about it a little bit later on in the day, okay? Because, you know, I don't have the courage to actually ask her out in person. That would be weird, right? Like, why would you do that? So I give her the note. I go on. I'm all throughout the day. I'm on pins and needles wondering, like, what's she going to say? Is she going to say yes? At the end of the day, her friend comes up and talks to me. You know where this is going. And she says, Jared, you know, Amy thought the balloons were really sweet, but... Um, she just wants to be... You, how do you know this? You know this story already. Excellent. You were there. You know this. We've all experienced this, right? We know that feeling of rejection. I just want to be friends. A rejection of a relationship. Now I can sit here and I can laugh about it and it's silly right now, but in the moment, I was crushed. I was defeated. I felt rejected. I felt uh, despair, like, oh my goodness. I went through all of this work to try to impress her and to try to get her to maybe go out with me or be my girlfriend or something like that, and it didn't work. All of us have experienced different levels of rejection, whether it's a relationship, maybe it's a job loss, maybe it's a bad news about a diagnosis or something like that, or maybe just fear of missing out, right? FOMO, you reject, being rejected by other friends. There's all different levels, and we have different levels of pain that comes with that. But then you take that and you multiply it in terms of your relationship with God, in terms of the church. And some of us, some of us have felt rejected by God. What do you do then? What do you, what do you do when you feel like the creator of the universe, the one who knows my name, right, that we just sang about? What do you feel when God rejects you or when it seems like God rejects you? And maybe even worse, when God's people reject you. Mark chapter 6 specifically, as we turn the corner in chapter 6, what we're starting to see in the story of Jesus and his disciples is a whole lot more adversity, disappointment, pain, and rejection. I want to key in on one particular story, but I do want to show you how I identified some of the themes in Mark chapter 6 and the rejection that we see throughout the chapter. And so just give you kind of a quick summary of some of the other stories in there. First of all, we get Jesus is rejected. It literally says that probably in your Bibles. Jesus is rejected in his hometown. They don't, they're not really on board with the fact that he's the son of God, that he's the Messiah. They're not sure because they grew up with him. And so they reject him in some sense. They reject his miracles. They have a hard time believing in him. That, that one's a little bit more self-explanatory. The next story is a little bit different. Jesus sends out his disciples. He's sending them on a mission trip. He's saying, hey, go do the things that I've been showing you what to do. And you're going to go, but you're going to go without me. I'm sending you out two by two. And it's a kind of a good pep rally that he's sending them out to do the ministry, to talk about the kingdom of God, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, like all great stuff. But here's the thing. Jesus prepares them for the potential of rejection. Not everybody's going to be into the message. Not everybody's going to be on board, so he prepares them for rejection. The very next story takes a different turn. It's John is beheaded. All right, this is the rated R part of the story. If anybody thinks the Bible is boring, you got to read this section. Like, this is interesting. It's weird. It's filled with all different kinds of scandal and levels of rejection. It starts off with the story of King Herod. 
Now, King Herod is a Jewish king over Israel, but he's kind of a puppet king. He's not really a king at all. He doesn't really wield a lot of power because really the Roman Empire is in charge. He's just kind of a placeholder for the king of the Jews. He's the true king of the Jews, apparently, according to them. But there's this other king, other King Jesus. And so there's confusion about who this king is that Herod doesn't really know about, but he's understanding that there's a movement happening. He's not sure he wants to accept it. He's rejecting the gospel of King Jesus, in a sense. But also, he has John the Baptist, who is with him. uh, And he kind of likes John, uh, but he's more of a, a prisoner of King Herod's. And so he rejects John's calls of repentance as well. And then there's another level of rejection that happens in the story. We get sort of this backstory of what actually happens to John. What had happened was is that Herod has his daughter perform this dance for him, which is kind of strange. And then he says to his daughter, hey, I will give you whatever gift you want. What do you want? And she decides to go to her mom and say, what should I ask for? And her mom says, you should ask for the head of John the Baptist. That's creepy, right? That's weird. And so she does. And she goes to Herod and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. Well, now Herod is conflicted. He wants to reject the request for this gift and he regrets his decision to let her have whatever she wants, but ultimately he allows it. And then here comes John the Baptist's head on a tray. This is weird, right? And so ultimately what we hear about in this section of the story is this weird level of rejection of what God is doing and not participating in the move of God. There's adversity, there's rejection, there's disappointment, and there's deep sadness because of the story of John. He's beheaded. Then we get a different story. We get uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Many of you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard a story about the feeding of the 5,000. It's a miracle. It's a, it's a great story. It's a good story. Where's the rejection in that? Well, if we pass by it too quickly, what actually happens in the beginning of the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus doesn't want anything to do with the crowd. He's actually trying to get by himself. And in fact, he's trying to do that often throughout the book of Mark. He's trying to get by himself, to be alone, to have some me time, right? He needs some time alone. And so he actually rejects the crowds, but the crowds just keep coming and he can't stop it anymore. And it says he has compassion on them. And so he initially wants to reject the people. Well, then he teaches them. And then the disciples, they're just taking their cues from Jesus. And so they too are thinking about, well, we should reject these people. So they try to shove the people away, send them away, Jesus, so that they can go get food. Well, then Jesus changes the script on them and says, no, you feed them. Okay, so now they've got to think about that, but they kind of come up with some excuses for why they should reject the people. There's levels of rejection throughout this chapter. There's adversity, there's disappointment. Then we get to this last story, and this is the story that we're going to talk about the most, is Jesus walking on water. Where could the rejection be in this story? I want to talk about that. We're going to look at the story together. If you don't have a Bible, you can just join me on the screen. It'll be right here. I'm going to read the whole thing through, and then we'll talk about it. It says this, immediately after this, that's the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. 
He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves, the feeding of the 5,000, and their hearts were too hard to take it in. Let's unpack this just a little bit. Where's the rejection and the adversity in this story? First of all, we have to wrestle with the fact that there is an element of good rejection. I want you to look at verse 46 for just a second. There is some good rejection in this story that we see. I mentioned that Jesus has been spending time all throughout this chapter and even before just trying to get alone, just trying to be by himself. There is a moment where he wants to get alone with his disciples to hear about their mission trip, so to speak. And so again, in this moment, after feeding the 5,000, he tells everybody goodbye and then he goes by himself to pray. He is getting alone. What Jesus is doing here is modeling the rejection of the hurry and the chaos that he's constantly surrounded by. All of the busyness, all of the excess noise, he is rejecting it so that he can be alone with the Father. Some of us just need to hear that part today, just in this moment. The rejection of the chaos and the, we're talking about storms, right? The rejection of the storms that are sometimes storms of our own making. We just busy ourselves. We are hurried. We add more to our calendar over and over. And then we wonder why we're so stressed out. Reject the hurry. Reject the chaos. Here's the thing. He's the savior of the world and yet he gets time to himself. You are not the savior of the world. You can't fix everybody's needs. Don't expect to do more than what Jesus can do. Sometimes, some of us, we just need to hear that today, to reject the hurry and the chaos and the storms of our own making. So there's some good rejection in this story, but then it quickly takes a turn. I want you to see verse 48. It says this, you saw that they were in serious trouble. Rowing, they're rowing hard. They're struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes towards them. He's walking down the water and he intends to go past them. Did you catch that? See, you guys, like, what do you do? What, can you see what we're going through, Jesus? Like, what is he doing? Why is he intending to go past them? Some of these phrases, we just read through the story so quickly that we don't catch some of the weirdness of it, right? Like, why in the world is he intending to go past them? And, and when we think about the theme of rejection, some of us are really struggling in our faith some days where we're just like, God, are you rejecting me? Are you intending to walk past me? Do you see the storm that I'm in right now? Do you even care? Or are you just walking right on by? We have to wrestle with those questions, with the storms of our life, with whatever it is that we're going, that, that's going on in our lives that are knocking us to and fro and we're wondering, God, are you even here and if you're here, do you even care? Or is he in intending to just walk on by? Try to figure out why. Why is he intending to walk past them? I wanted to consider three possibilities and just spend a, a good chunk of our time considering that. Why did Jesus intend to walk on by? Is the one consideration that, well, he, he still just wants to be alone. He just wants to be alone. 
He's sick of the chaos. He's sick of the hurriedness. He's been trying to get alone all throughout this chapter. Maybe the spot that he was in on land was kind of like a good spot, but now it's three o'clock in the morning. I just need to shift and maybe just find a different spot to have some more alone time. So, uh, you know what? I'll just go over there, but I need to just get across the water, so I'm just going to walk on the water like you do um, and get to a different spot to spend some more alone time. Is that what he's trying to do? He just needs to be alone. And if we consider that as a possibility, then where our minds tend to go sometimes, and I know this in conversations, in pastoral conversations with many of you and in past churches, is this idea that, yes, Jesus does just need to be alone. He's so annoyed with all the stuff in my life. God is so preoccupied with his own stuff. He's got bigger fish to fry. He doesn't have time for me. Why would he care about me? He's got other things he's got to get to. I want to shift our perspective on that just a little bit. Yes, Jesus models alone time. And as one pastor says, the the purpose of his alone time is to abide in the Father so that he can abound in God's love. There's this constant uh, balance and rhythm and pendulum swing of abiding and abounding. I need, to, I need to get filled up. I need to get recharged. I'm limited. I'm not the savior of the world. I'm talking about me now. And, and so I need, to, I need to rest in God's presence. It's not about being lazy, but resting, getting recharged so that I can go and, and pour out everything that God has poured into me. Well, but Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. He's the Son of God. So why does he need that? Well, here's the thing. This is what Paul said to the Philippian church, that though he was God, he did not cling to his rights as God. He didn't see himself as equal to God. He gave up his divine privileges, and he made himself a slave. He entered into the human form, which actually changes the narrative now, right? So if God in Jesus has limits, and he's going off to be by himself, if that's what we're going to consider, if he's going off to be by himself, it's not because he doesn't care about you, but actually because he does care about you, he is tending to his human limitations. The very fact that God would enter into our human likeness shows that he's willing to stoop to our level to be with us. That actually shows us how much he has care and compassion for us. He needs time to abide in the Father so that he can abound in love. Is he trying to be alone? Possibly, but not because he doesn't care. It's because he cares all the more for you. He recognizes his human limitations. Maybe, maybe that's a possibility. Or maybe there's a second one. Maybe he's allowing them to try. Try what? What do I mean by that? Well, this isn't their first rodeo. This storm has happened before. They've seen this story before. In chapter 4, in case for those of you who've been reading the story, in chapter 4, there was already another storm. But in that storm, Jesus was actually with them in the boat. But this time time in this story, in chapter 4, Jesus is, he's out. He's He's sleeping. He is completely gone. And the disciples try to wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? Again, a sense of rejection. Like, do you even care? You even see what's going on all around me? And Jesus, you know, shakes awake. And then he gets up. And the story says in chapter 4 that he speaks to the wind and the waves. And then it stops. This time, 
This story, Jesus isn't even with them. He intends to walk past them in the middle of their storm. Is it possible that Jesus actually is empowering them, has, I don't know, a little bit of faith in them, that because they've already experienced a storm, that now they have what it takes? That they're actually empowered with the same abilities that Jesus has because he says, you will do greater things than, than, these, than these, than what I'm doing. Is it possible that he's actually empowering them and allowing them to give it a shot? Maybe they can calm the storm. Maybe God's spirit is with them and they have the ability to do this supernatural thing that they can participate in the move of God. Is he intending to walk past them because he's thinking, they can do it. They've seen me do it, so they should be able to do it. I think about it like this. Um, I saw the movie Ray recently, the story of Ray Charles. And there's a scene in the movie where he's about seven years old, where he, he's become almost pretty much completely blind. But he's lived seven years, so he's kind of gotten a, a sense of his surroundings. He's aware of what's going on around him. And then there's this moment where he's about seven years old. He comes into the house, and he trips, and he falls, and he hurts himself. And he's crying, Mama, Mama, help me. And you see, the mom is she's right there in the room. She's very close by, but she doesn't help. She doesn't engage. And you think, what is she doing? Like, are you cold? Are you callous? Like, help him out. He just fell and tripped. He's blind, for goodness sake. She doesn't do it. Because she realizes there's something more going on here. And so you can see the look on her face. Like, she she wants to help. She loves her son, but she hesitates. And he's still crying. He's on the floor crying, Mama, help me out. And then eventually he realizes she's not responding. So what's the point in crying? What's the point in shouting? And so he stops. He kind of picks himself up. He brushes himself off a little bit. He decides to start walking through the room a little bit, kind of feeling his way around. And he gets close to the fire, and now his senses are heightened a little bit. He has a little bit more awareness now because of previous experiences. And he puts his hand close to the fire, but then he quick pulls it back realizes, no, that, that's dangerous. I can't, can't touch that. He walks to another part of the room and he's near this window and then he hears the trotting by of a horse and a cart. Remembers what that sound is like. And then he th- hears out of another window a, a cow going by with a bell on it. He's starting to pick up, becoming more aware, more sensitive to his surroundings because of his other senses. He knows where he is. And all of a sudden, he finds his mother. His mother starts crying and puts her arms around him and says, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. What is she doing? Well, she knows that if she were to step in and help him, he was never going to learn how to understand some of the other senses in order to survive in this world. Is Jesus allowing them to try? Because he's not going to be with them forever, physically. Is Jesus allowing you to step in? How do you balance that, uh, those two different dichotomies where you are in utter need of Jesus? Jesus, I am in a complete storm. There is no way I can get out of this. Balancing that with, no, I, I actually have been empowered by his spirit to do the things that Jesus showed me how to do. I can participate in this thing too. Is Jesus walking past them, intending to walk past them because he's allowing them to try? And then I thought about a third possibility. This one's a little bit more difficult. As I asked the question, why did he intend to walk past them? Sometimes the answer is this. I don't know. I don't know. 
there's a little bit of giggling going on because you don't hear these words in church. You don't hear these words from pastors. We get paid to have all of the answers, right? Come to me. Sign up for a time in my office. Any question you have, I've got the answer. That's what we're here for, right? I've got some words, but I can't say them in church right now. I don't know. Are we okay with that answer? (laughs) Are you sure? Because sometimes when we get that diagnosis, when we get that rejection, when we get that thing that is a massive storm that we don't have the answer to, and we ask, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing this? Are you rejecting me? You seem far away. Are we okay with saying, I don't know? That's a harder one. And I don't, I don't know how to tie it all up with a nice, neat bow. But when I think about this idea of Jesus intending to walk by them, it could be any one of those answers or a completely different answer. It could be a combination of all three of those answers. But the reality is, is that he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't walk past them. He intends to, but he doesn't. And he engages with them. And that's the whole other part of the story. But then we have to ask some other questions. See, this whole time we've been asking the questions that are much easier for us to ask. It is so easy for us to put God on the witness stand and to say, God, you are or you aren't or why aren't you or why didn't you? It's super easy for us to put God on the witness stand. Are we willing to put ourselves on the stand as well? And to say, am am I rejecting the move of God? Am I actually rejecting what God intends to do, but I'm just not maybe seeing it right? Maybe I need to shift my perspective a little bit? I want you to see what the disciples do and how they might participate in their rejection of what God wants to do in and through them as well. Look at verse 49. It looks like this. When they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror. Wouldn't you? Thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. Of course, he's walking on water. I don't know the last time you did that. I haven't done it yet. Still working on that one. Tried to do it at the pool with the girls the other day. Didn't work out, okay? So I'm still working on it. He is walking on water. Of course they're afraid, all right? We got to give them a little bit of credit here, okay? But here's the thing I want us to understand is we have a modern concept of how our world works. In their world, it's very common for them to think he was a ghost. Of course they would think he's a ghost. In the ancient Middle Eastern world, not just in the Jewish community, but all throughout the ancient Eastern world, big bodies of water were sort of understood to be sort of the dark, scary, supernatural underworld. That's just how they understood it. They didn't have the scientific method back then. And so this area, specifically the Sea of Galilee, often had storms just that would happen randomly. They still do to this day. It's because of the the geography and the geology of how it's all set up. I don't have time to get into all of that, but this is a common thing. And they had to think of a reason for why this was the case. Well, they didn't have their scientific understanding, so they must have thought, well, the gods are in charge somehow of natural elements. And we don't understand this big, scary, murky, dark water, so this must be the underworld of the gods as well. So, of course, they would think, this is a ghost. Not to mention, he's walking on water. He's doing something that is outside of their categories. They don't have categories for how to think about this. And sometimes I think we reject the move of God because we don't have categories for the way that Jesus shows up. 
We're crying, we're asking God, where are you? Are you going to show up? And then he shows up, but he shows up not in the way that we were expecting to. He shows up and we're like, yeah, but I didn't mean like that. Don't, don't do that. that. That's not what I'm asking for. No, I, actually, here's the script. Here's exactly what I need you to do. You just follow that script and we're going to be good. Sometimes I think we reject the move of God because he doesn't show up in the way that we want him to. Are we willing to shift our perspective to see Jesus show up in a way that is quite different than what we hoped he would do? Maybe that's a possibility. What about this next part? Look at the rest of verse 50 and into 51. But Jesus spoke to them once, at once. He said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. And they were totally amazed. Think about the the progression of this for just a moment. Last time, right, he's in the boat with them. He speaks to the wind and the waves. He speaks to the storm in chapter 4, and the storm stops, and they're amazed, right? This one's a little bit different. This time, he's not with them, and he's still outside of the boat when he speaks to them. And we could say he doesn't speak to the storm, but he speaks to the storm in their hearts. Don't be afraid, He said, take courage, I am here. He speaks to them. The storm hasn't stopped yet. He's not in the boat yet. He is just speaking to them while the storm is raging all around them. It's not until he just simply steps into the boat and then the storm is stopped. And it's only then that they're amazed. Think about that. They're not amazed by his words. They're only amazed by his actions. How often do we want Jesus to show up and then he speaks to us and we're like, yeah, 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 get on with that. I just need you to do the action stuff. How often do we reject the words of Jesus because we're only looking for the actions of Jesus? And how often does he do that all throughout the New Testament? He speaks to a bunch of people who come find him after he's fed them and he says, no, 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 you only are looking for me. You only want me because of what I did for you. We think about uh, another story where four men, they, they cut a hole in somebody's roof, right? They didn't have insurance back then, so this is an issue. And they go through uh, and they drop their friend, their paralyzed friend, through the roof, and they're expecting big things from Jesus. They have expectations that Jesus is going to do something for this man. What's the first thing that Jesus says to the man? Your sins are forgiven. Okay, cool. I'm paralyzed. Take a hint. Eventually, he does heal the man. I can't think of how many times I've been in a storm and a friend, an encourager, wants to come alongside me and they want to pray for me. They want to give me scriptures and read Bible verses to me. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I just need you to do something about this situation. I just need your actions. Do you see the storm that's raging all around me? Do we reject the move of God because we only want his actions? We don't really care about his words. There's a third way that we sometimes reject the move of God. In verse 52, it says this, for they still didn't understand. Specifically, the significance of the miracle of the loaves and their hearts were too hard to take it in. So they're amazed, but they don't understand. And their hearts are hardened. How often are you finding yourself in a storm and because you don't have the answer, to why God is doing what he's doing, why he's allowing what he's doing. 
And so because of that lack of understanding, just have a hard heart. You know, if I can't, if I can't understand it, then I just don't want any part of it. And this is honestly the most conversations that I've had with people who are a little bit more on the agnostic side, and that's okay. You have reasons for why you doubt. But it's a lot of those questions. Well, why does God allow all of this stuff to happen? Why is God allowing poverty and injustice and racism and war? Why is he allowing all of that stuff? Again, we have to ask the question, well, why are you? You can participate too. You get to do the things of God. He's enabled you. He has empowered you through his spirit to participate in the same things. If you don't understand, then be part of the solution. Are we rejecting the move of God because we just don't understand and so we let our hearts get hard? Here's the thing. Rejection almost always comes with pain. It does. And it is hard. And following Jesus is filled with all kinds of adversity and disappointment and rejection. I know that's not a great commercial for our church, right? Like, so come back next week and hear more, right? But it's better to step into the reality of that and to understand what our expectations should be. It is filled with adversity and disappointment and rejection. And so what do we do in the midst of that? Well, all we get are the words of Jesus. We get the words of Jesus, which is evidence of his presence. And that's it. Jesus doesn't speak a whole lot in this story. He says very little in this story. In fact, he only says three mini sentences, mini phrases. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm with you. That's it. That's all Jesus says in this story. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am with you. I was thinking about this uh, phrase, and notice I put punctuation here because in in the story, as it reads in English, we get an exclamation point. But here, it's actually not a period, it's a comma. Uh, but the Greek, Greek is how it's written, doesn't use punctuation. So that's fine, but I wanted to think about this, and so I'm, I'm experimenting with theology just a little bit, so, but go with me. I thought about it like this, don't be afraid, just a period, take courage, exclamation point, I'm with you, exclamation point. I think this one is important to look at. The don't be afraid one. I don't, I don't think that when Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's a corrective. It's a punishment. Ah, stop being afraid. I can't believe you guys. No, it's a, it's a shepherding, gentle, calming. Don't be afraid. In the midst of your pain, of your rejection, of your loss, of your diagnosis, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. But he doesn't just leave us with that. He doesn't just say what not to do. He also replaces that with what to do. And then he goes into take courage. Take courage. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer is how that's translated, which ultimately what that literally means is radiate warm confidence. We don't use phrases like that in our world, do we? We don't say take courage very much, but radiate warm confidence. That, that expands the picture of what that actually looks like. I think 
The idea of radiating warm confidence in the middle of a storm. How do you do that? And I don't know that I can answer that perfectly, but I have seen people in my life and people outside of myself who do that very well. Some of you know the Prater family and their little daughter who is going through cancer and trying to battle that and going through the healing journey. And it's been all kinds of ups and downs and a whole lot of pain and her body rejecting certain things. It is, it is turmoil. It is hell for them. And yet, I have seen this family radiate warm confidence in the midst of their struggle. I don't, I don't know that I could do that. I have watched their faith grow in the midst of it. How can we learn to endure as we radiate warm confidence in the middle of a storm? Lastly, Jesus says, I am with you. I'm with you. A couple weeks ago on 4th of July, remember 4th of July, it was hot, super hot that day, kind of humid. And so me and the family, we wanted to go swimming, went to the pool. And, um, and when we walked home, my daughter, Cora, had to go to the bathroom really bad. So she's running up ahead. And we're like, that's fine. And so she runs up ahead. And uh, we're about 50 yards apart. And all of a sudden, I see her just biff it. And she goes down. And she's only wearing a swimming suit. And it's on the hot concrete. It's kind of gravelly. And she just immediately screams at the top of her lungs. And she is wailing because she's skinned both of her knees, her hands, her elbows, and she even hit her nose on the concrete as well. Imagine the pain and the, the sweatiness and already having to go to the bathroom on top of that, just the discomfort. And she's screaming and crying and a neighbor starts to come outside. And of course, I'm the one left with all the wet towels and the water bottles and the snacks. And I'm wearing floppy little Crocs that I can't really run in. And so I'm trying to get to her as fast as I can. And as I'm running to her, I'm like, there's nothing I can do for her. I can't fix the pain that she's going through, but I'm running to her. And the only thing I can think of to say is I'm here. I'm here. It's okay. I'm here. Why is that our instinct as a parent? Why do, why do we say that? Why do we, why do we think that that's going to do anything? Why is saying, I'm here, why does that compute in our brains? Like, well, that should fix it. No, I, I st- can't take away the pain. I can't wipe away the blood. All I can say is, I'm here, it's okay. It's because those words are really the only comfort that I can offer. The pain's there. The blood's there. The scrapes on our hands are all there. And feeling all of that, that pain and sadness, feeling that by yourself is already bad enough, is despairing. But if you're going through a storm and somebody joins you in it and says, I'm with you, Now all of a sudden there's just a shred of hope. It's just a little glimpse that it's going to be okay. These are the only words of Jesus in this story. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm with you. And you remember when he says that? He says it before the storm has even stopped. He says it before he's even stepped into the boat. Are you willing to accept these words of Jesus before he takes any action in calming your storm?
Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am with you. Because he doesn't leave us alone. Even though it seems like it. Even though it feels like it. The rest of the story reads like this. See, after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and they climbed out. People recognized Jesus at once. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, in villages, cities, countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces and they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. All who touched him were healed. Jesus is bringing about healing in all different kinds of forms. Will you reach out? Will you touch the fringe of his robe? Because he cares for you. He is with you. Take courage. Would you stand as we enter into a worship song that is all about taking Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that message. I hope that Jared really took on a difficult question or a feeling that we sometimes have that God has rejected us. So I hope that his message brought you encouragement and maybe some peace in those situations, especially if you're in one of those situations right now. Um, but just remember that God is with us. And even if we don't have all the answers, uh, he is still with us. So again, thanks for listening. Just want to remind you about a couple things. First off, that this is an opportunity uh, to support what God is doing at the church, to support the work that we do, not just through sermons, but through uh, our ministry work, through uh, the things that people in this community do, and the ways that we can support that as a church, and just to support the mission of God and what he's up to. So uh, take that opportunity via uh, giving through our church center app or our website it's a great opportunity to support what god is up to also want to remind you that uh, we are here for you Um, again we believe that you belong and we want to surround you and support you with encouragement and love and prayer and whatever else you may need so uh, fill out a connect card and that's going to be the space where you can indicate uh, what you're going through and if you have any needs or prayers or support that we can give you so be sure to do that Um, again the connect card is just a great way for us to get to know you and to, to get you connected and to hear about what you need, um, whether it's questions or other kind of support. So uh, have a blessed week. We will have another message on Mark next week, which we can't wait for. Uh, But until then, I hope that you find God this week, that you encounter him, uh, that you feel his presence, and that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is with you. Have a great week. We'll see you again real soon.